1 Corinthians 16, verses 22 and 23. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's just read it again. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's just pray again. Eternal Father, we pray that you would now settle us in your presence. No God, that you would speak to our hearts. We know, Lord, that our hearts are hidden in secret from man, but none are hidden in secret from you. And so, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come to you right now to ask for your blessing to be upon the Word of God, your own inspired Word. And we ask, O oh, Father, that in Jesus' name, if there's one here who has not yet come to saving faith in your Beloved, that this evening would be the time that they would surrender themselves, surrender their hearts, surrender their lives, the foot of the old rugged cross, that they would come under the fountain of your Son's precious shed blood, that they might be saved, that they might be forgiven of all of their sin. We thank you for the songs of Zion we have sung. We thank you for in Billy's ministry, and the lovely songs that he has sung on to you in our presence. I mean, I ask you, O God, that you would come and that you would speak plainly and clearly. Hide this man behind the cross. Let this man never be seen, but only Christ alone be exalted. We ask, O Lord, that your spirit would move in a mighty way this evening. Glorify your own name. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Paul says, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Then he says, Maranatha. Paul, finishing his letter to the Corinthians, he gives a strong warning to some people. And he gives a strong encouragement to others. He says there will be some who are anathema to God and to his redeemed. He says then there will be others who will cry, Maranatha. In other words, the Lord cometh because they love him. He's telling, those, telling us that those who love the Lord Jesus, who cry, for his coming are ready for the coming of the Lord. They have been saved by grace. They have been to Calvary by faith. They are washed in the blood of the Lamb, trusting only in the merit of Christ. And now the love of God through the Spirit of God is enabling them to love the Lord Jesus and has a manifest and a changed life. Friends, I have something to tell you tonight. No changed life, there's no Christ. 
It's as simple as that. If there's no changed life in your life, there's no Christ in your life. If there's no love for Christ, there's no Holy Spirit in your life. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Those who do not love the Lord Jesus, they are declared anathema. Now this word is, we're going to dissect it, these two words and show you the difference in them to see where you stand before God. The word here for anathema means they are accursed. They are under the curse. For example, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 24, Paul says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the term he quotes here. He says that love our Lord Jesus Christ. Insincerity. Amen, or so be it. The term for insincerity is without corruption. There's a man and a woman who say they love Christ, but their love is corrupted by the things of the world. It's corrupted by their lifestyle. It's corrupted by the things they speak and the way they act and react. It's corrupted. In other words, it's not the pure love for Messiah. It's not the pure love for the Son of God. Everything and anything else takes the preeminence that is Christ's alone. And so their love is in other places and their love is given to other things. It's corrupted. Now, Paul says in Ephesians 6 and 24, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And again, it rings of 1 Corinthians 16 and 23 in our reading. He says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Here, Paul is saying, There are those who love the Lord. They are under grace. What does it mean? Now, listen, folks. All we ever hear is law and grace. Law and grace. Grace is the opposite of law. No, it isn't. The opposite of law is lawlessness, not grace. For then those say we need not worry about the commandments of God, the moral law of God, because then we can live how we like and we're covered in grace. See, it's the opposite. That's a lie from the pit itself to lure men and women to a false security. The opposite of law is lawlessness. If I was to drive through Guilford Main Street here and the, it's 30 miles per hour outside and the policeman stood out to stop me and I stopped and he says, you were doing 40 miles per hour in the 30 mile an hour zone. I'd say, but I'm under grace. He says, oh, you broke the law. It's lawlessness if he let every single person go. It's not we're all under grace. It's lawlessness. The place would be chaotic to the point where everyone would drive at whatever speed they like. So is the law of God. It's not that we can live how we like because we claim we're under grace, but rather the curse of the law is removed, but not the law itself. In other words, we live in grace it's like the policeman saying, this time, I'll give you a Bible, I'll let you off. Now, that's grace. When I deserve to receive the fine. 
But he says, from now on you obey the 30 miles in our zone. That's the law. The man and the woman who are saved by grace are lawbreakers. You and I have transgressed the law of God. And so the lawkeeper had to come. The lawgiver in flesh is the lawkeeper, the Lord Jesus Christ. He kept the law that you and I could never keep in order that when he died for us, the law-breaking of our sin was placed upon him. And he kept the law for us. Now we live in Christ. But nevertheless, the Lord says he would make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant, he says, what I made with your fathers, but I will put my law in their inward parts. Inscribe it in their hearts, he says. And so the law is now written in our hearts as we have come to Calvary. Now we break it all the time. We try to live right. We don't murder, but yet we may hate one of our brethren in our heart. That's murder, Jesus said. Jesus didn't do away with the law. You know what he did? He magnified the law. He expanded the law. He brought commentary under the law, for he says, yeah, you may not have literally killed someone, but hating in your heart is already murder. He didn't bring it away. Thinking with lust in your mind, he says, it's already adultery. You may not have committed the act, but it's adultery, he says. He expands on this law. And that's why Christ came to keep it perfect, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Because you and I are so weak and so unable, he had to die in our place. Grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, Paul says. Now listen, those who love the Lord are under grace and those who do not love the Lord are under the curse of the law. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul writes these words, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. I want you to underline that word, accursed. It is the same word as uh, anathema. Now, the word curse changes, but here it's anathema. We'll look at it later. No man by the Spirit of God calls Jesus anathema. We're going to see here how Christ became anathema. It's the curse of the third level, if you want. We'll explain that in a moment. That he became a curse for you and a curse for me, that the curse would be lifted from us. Here we have... We're going to see how the Jewish Pharisees, Billy says it's like when I was sitting down there and he was up here, it was like the Sanhedrin coming to mark his card. You know, it was coming to judge. That's what they did. Most of them were just, weren't even true Jews. They weren't even, most of them were Edomites. Old Herod was another one who tried Christ. They had no desire for the truth of God. They hated the Lord Jesus Christ. And so right throughout Jewry, they tried to infiltrate every synagogue that they would say, this man whom Paul preaches, this man, Christ, he's an accursed man. I want to say I'm glad that he became accursed so that I might be brought in. 
And that's what we want to look at tonight. When Paul says, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, he said to the Corinthians, many of them were scattered Israelites. And he said to them, if these Jewish leaders come and say you're that this Jesus is the accursed, they haven't got the Spirit. They're not of God, he says. Don't listen to them. For those who know him, that is, the Lord Jesus, those who know their Father, like Jesus says, if God were your Father, he says, you would know me. And so he says, when they come, this is the idea of it, or anyone else, but especially those who were persecuting the early church, he says, they're not by the Spirit of God sent. That they call the Lord a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, or that Jesus is kurios. Kurios means the master, the controller, the one who is supremely in charge of all. In other words, it's the New Testament version of God, or Yahweh, Jehovah himself. But no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. That is over his life. It has to be by the Spirit of God. For example, in Galatians 3 and verse 13, Paul writes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, notice, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ was numbered with the transgressors. That centerpiece of him who hung and bled on Calvary's tree he was crucified between two robbers or two thieves. He was the one who was redeeming you and I from the curse of the law of God. And when he was shedding his blood, he was paying for your penalty, paying for the debt of our sin in its fullness. And he was taking us from being under the curse, taking us from being under the bondage of the law that would bring us to a lake of fire, to be damned forever. He became a curse for us. You see, the Old Testament said, oh, if anyone's hung on a tree, it's a warning. It's the lowest of the low. Do you know when they took the Lord Jesus Christ outside the city walls, when they took him to Golgotha's hill and they kneeled him hand and foot to the tree, do you realize what happened? Do you realize that they took him to the rubbish dump? They took him to the, the pit of burning, the Gehenna fire, where the rubbish was piled, where excrement was thrown out. The stink and the stench and the foulness of it. And they hung our blessed Savior there. He's worthless. He's accursed. And oh, there's men and there's women who are under the curse like me. And he done that, that we could be saved from the curse of the law. Realize the power of Calvary's tree. Not the tree itself, but the Christ who died for us. Notice, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The emphasis here is Paul is saying 
If you read later, you can read 1 Corinthians 10. Paul talks about Israel being baptized through the sea and under the cloud under Moses. So look, there's no Jerusalem times here. There's no Antioch Herald here. You know, there's no Hebron newspapers here. There's no Sky TV or anything like that. They wouldn't have known all of this history save if there were some of Israel teaching it there. And then those coming from uh, from from jury coming and speaking to them and saying, listen, this here man who they're preaching about, he's an accursed one. He's a hate figure. He's a rebel. He's a troublemaker. Don't you listen to Paul? And Paul says, listen, Corinthian church, I want to let you know that the one we preach, the Lord Jesus Christ, he alone indeed is God. And he alone indeed can Redeem us from the curse of the law. I have something to tell him. I have something to tell all of us. Don't help the Jews be Jews. If you want to help them, preach the word. Tell them of Christ. Tell them there's a Messiah. Peter preaches to them, Acts chapter 5, verses 29 to 32. It says, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Let that be etched in our hearts tonight. Let that be etched in your mind. We ought to obey God rather than men. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his, with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Notice this, Peter says, you crucified him. Peter says that. He says, you crucified him. You slew him and hung him on a tree. It says, but his father raised him up. Here is the crucifixion, and here is the resurrection of Christ. And he says, him hath God exalted. Here's the exaltation of Christ, the ascension of him. He sets him at his own right hand. And why? He says, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God did this for you. God did this for me that we would have repentance of sin, that he would forgive us, that we would turn from the life that the Holy Ghost would not have us live, and that we would love the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother, sister, will you look at me for a moment? Do you love him? Do you love him? Peter says to the Jewish leaders of his day, he says, him you call accursed. Well, that's who are saved, Paul says then. Peter says, you, you, you say he's accursed. Paul says you say he's accursed. They're all saying this. But those who have met Christ, 
1 Timothy 6 and 15, Paul writes, he is the blessed and only potentate. He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Oh, you may hate him, but we love him. Brothers and sisters, there's no one like him. I like what Tim Keller once said. He said, Jesus took the tree of death so you could have the tree of life. He took Calvary's tree of death that you could have the tree of life in his kingdom. The trees, that tree where the leaves are for the healing of the nations, when kingdom comes, kingdom, oh, heaven's coming to earth, you know. Heaven's coming to earth. The king is coming to earth. He's setting up his throne on earth. He's coming to take that which belongs to him. He's coming to put his enemies under his feet. He's coming to rule and he's coming to reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. He's coming to live among his people. We'll see the tree of life. He is the tree of life. Christ alone. We who love the Lord Jesus show our love to him. You ready? By our obedience. We who love the Lord Jesus show our love to him by our obedience. It's not that the Father gave us his spirit because we obeyed him first. Listen, Peter says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that love him. Obey him, pardon me whom God hath given to them that obey him. You must say, well, and I'll get my life together. I'll get my life in order. I'll start obeying God. I'll do my best. I'll try my hardest. And I'll put all the little ducks in a row, make sure my life's all in order, and everything's going to be fine. And maybe the Lord will give me the Holy Ghost. That's not what God means here. The idea is you can see whom has the Holy Ghost because they obey him. A man and a woman who do not walk and have conviction of the word of God, there's no Holy Ghost. It's as simple as that. Paul tells us, if any man is not led by the Spirit of God, he has none of his. He's none of his. So notice this. Peter is not saying that the Father gave his spirit because we obeyed him first, but that it can be evidence that we have his spirit by showing our obedience to his word, to his leading, to his will, and to his commandments. So for you to say, I'll get saved, or I'll follow God, I'll get everything in order first, that's not how you come. You come in repentance as you are and say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and only Christ can do that. You don't got a fish before you catch it, do you? You'd be a good one if you did. But rather you catch the fish and then you got it. You clean it out. Listen to what the Lord Jesus says. John 14 and verse 15. If you love me. Jesus said that. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
So we love Jesus. So we can, with conviction and confidence, cry, Maranatha, the Lord cometh. I, in your own heart, can you say that? Are you living your life for Christ? Are you completely and totally sold out for Christ? I mean, sold out. I'm not talking about Sunday religion. I'm talking about sold out for Christ. That there is no other God before him. There is nothing in our lives that takes his place. There's nothing in our hearts that is enthroned in the place of Christ. There's nothing takes his preeminence. But your life is completely dependent upon Christ. Buried in Christ. Raised in Christ. And you'll be glorified in Christ. So why is your life? Do you love him? Some people are ashamed to say that. Well, I'm going to tell you, and this goes online, and goes around the world, I'm going to tell you, I'm unashamed to tell you right now, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all that I have. That all that I am. Unashamed and unafraid. I love you, Lord. Here, we can cry, Maranatha. You have my heart, Lord. The old hymn writer wrote, the greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Christ alone deserves to be worshipped. Christ alone receives the glory. He alone could redeem us from the curse of the law. We love him. We're sealed by his spirit. We obey and serve him through love, not because we have to, but because we love to. And those of us who are cry, Maranatha, the Lord cometh, and we watch, we wait, we pray, and we look for his coming. Yet, we're still not perfect. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 23 of our reading, Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This word grace is charis. And if you were to say, what is grace? Well, it's the divine influence upon the heart and it's a reflection in the life. It's, it's unmerited favor. It is that. And it's more than that. It's, it's that which affords joy and it affords delight. It, it affords loveliness to the one who knows Jesus as their Savior. It speaks of the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ. It is all of that and more. So when your mind is starting to turn to Christ, that's God's spirit. That's grace. But let me give you what the ancient Greeks used for the word charis, for grace we use in the English. 
And the simplest way I could put it is this. They would have walked down through Athens or somewhere in Greece, and they had stopped and heard one of the great philosophers, and there was a property in what they said that enriched their lives. They, they loved the poetic sound of it, or they, they liked to learn something from it, and it was free. You just stopped in the street, and they listened, and they received something. That was Kairos. That was Kairos in the ancient Greeks. Or when you go to, uh, uh, if you're ever going to on your holidays and you're there and you know, the first time you step out in your shorts and your flip-flops on or your sandals, whatever you're wearing, and you've got your t-shirt on and sun's shining and there's the sea and it's glistering there and the sun is just beating down on you and there's a nice breeze to cool you. And, oh, you ever get that? Is that just me? I do that a lot. I can't believe I'm here. I've made it. Oh, I'm sorry. That's grace. That's what the Greeks called Karis. That gentle breeze that refreshed the sun that was glorious on you. The beautiful vision to the eyes. All of it was called Karis. They bring it over into the New Testament. Now, Writer Paul says, this chorus is found in one place for eternity. Look at Christ. He is amazing. He is wonderful. The first time when the grace reaches us and the Spirit turns us to behold Jesus, it's that releasing of the the bondage we've been under, the addiction we've been in, the struggles we've faced, the mountains we've tried to climb on our own and failed, and all the sin and the weight that's beset us and wet us down and brought us into places we never thought we could get so low into. Suddenly Christ appears before us, as it were, with the eye of faith. And we, we have made it. Look at him. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. He's majestic. Thank you, Lord. That's the definition of charis, of grace. The sinner, like me, the sinner who says, you curse and you swear and you're vulgar and you fornicate and you do all of those things. All of us who were sinners, some of them as deep as prostitution and selling their body for money or alcoholism and drug addiction that brought us down so low and we struggled so hard and we could never alleviate the pain of it except for to do it more. On the merry-go-round week after week looking for the next fix and suddenly when we hear the gospel of saving grace found in the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we find? We find grace has reached us. And oh, it's all in Christ. And the first time we yield our hearts, uh, prostrate our spirits and surrender ourselves to the Son of God and what He has accomplished for you and I at Calvary, we, as it were, in our spirit feel the refreshment. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. For Thou hast rescued me. For you have saved me, undeserving, 
guilty and vile. The hymn writer wrote, Guilty and vile and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high, hallelujah, what a Savior. He's worthy, isn't he? He is worthy of the praise. He's worthy of our love. Is it any wonder the apostle says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed then, he says, for all that Christ has done, for all that Christ has given. The giving of his own life, the shedding of his own blood, the nails in his hands and in his feet, the crown of thorns upon his bride, the beating, the bruising, the breaking, the whipping, the mocking, the scorning, the Roman spear in his side. Paul says, if you cannot love him, then be anathema. Any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be anathema. See, Christ was made a curse for us. Because he was made a curse for us, all those who receive not Christ. First of all, we looked at how the Jews called him a curse. Listen. The Father seen him as a curse. Seen him as your curse on the cross. Seen him as my curse. He cries, Eloi, Eloi, Lama, Sabachthani, which being interpreted as my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, this word anathema, as I close, thank you for your attention. This word anathema, it's what's known as the curse of the third level by some uh, 
Bible students, if I can call it that, are commentators. Let me show you what I mean. Among the Jews in their synagogues, there was what was known as the first level of discipline for those who fell into sin as they thought, or those who couldn't keep the law as they decided they would keep the law. 613 commandments. Thinking they could keep it and they couldn't keep it themselves. So what they did was if someone was uh, caught not trying to keep the law or someone was unruly, they would put them out. And they were separated out of the synagogue for 30 days. And during that 30 days, if he did not repent and come back to these men and say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, they then were to turn him away again a second level of discipline. First level was 30 days separation. The second level was a level where there was no end to the separation, waiting on him to come to say, I come under your your rulership, I come under your bondage, or I come under the, the, the commandments that you're trying to keep, I come under the washing of pots and pans and all the, the other daft things that were added to the law of God. And if he did not do that, then the second level of discipline was then administered after they decided on a certain period of time. And that brought them in if there was no repentance from him, no love and unity with his brethren no desire for reconciliation, then they decided to call him anathema. And anathema meant he was cut off completely, and he could never be reconciled again. He was put out, counted no longer as one of their own, being a Jew. That's what anathema means. And Paul is saying, if any of these come and say that this man is anathema, he was put outside the city walls by them. He was crucified. He was hung on a tree. If they come and say that he is accursed, he says, then that's not the Spirit of God. He says, but this one, he died and took the curse for you and me. Friends, you must receive Christ. Because here's the thing. The Lord Jesus, you can read it when you go home and have time. Time's gone. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, talks about leadership. He says, uh, if your brother offends you, go to him. And if he will not hear you, go with someone else. See, there's the first, then there's the second. And if he doesn't, he says, then bring them to the leaders, he says. And if they don't listen to the church or the leaders, then he says, Put them out. Imagine doing that in church today, but that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. That's the anathema of the third curse, the level of the third curse. Here's the thing. Christ took the anathema that was yours and mine. Those who reject Christ Maybe you've heard the gospel many times. You thank God for his grace. Because he's spoken once. And he's given you time. He's spoken twice. And he's given you time. 
He's maybe spoken to you many times. But what if tonight was the time when he says, no more. You're not coming to me. You're anathema. You're cut off forever. I heard a politician during the week speaking about things that politicians shouldn't say for they are anathema. I don't even know if they know what they're saying. I really don't think they know what they're saying. I trust tonight there'll be no one in here who will be in a place where they're cut off forever from the Christ who died to save them. But rather you would give yourself to the Lord. Don't leave this place tonight without making sure you are right with God. Making your calling and election sure as Peter called it. For Christ has shed his blood for your soul and nothing else will do. And on that day, the Lord says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. My spirits are not always strive with man. God is speaking to me. God is speaking.